0: This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com. Top 100 is now over, so it's back to normal with episode 47 and this time we're talking about Essen, Essen 2016 which I'll be attending this year, what games am I looking forward to, what are my top 10 most anticipated games, you name it, this is about Essen. Hello everyone, welcome back to The Broken Meeple and it's episode... What episode is it now? I guess it's 47 because technically the top 100 I did doesn't count as actual episodes. So we're jumping from 46, which was all the way back in July, all the way down to... down? All the way forward to 47 and this is... Not necessarily a special episode, it's just basically my pre-Essen episode, because yes, I will be going to Essen this October, and I cannot wait to spend my second time there. Of course, I will also be helping out with the Dice Tower crew on their booth, possibly aiding them with the show. Of course, I'll be walking around all the booths and like a kid in a candy store trying to buy more games or just check out new stuff and meet designers. And naturally, the more people I can meet from you guys out there, the the better. Uh, I'll be staying at the Motel One Essen, so hopefully some of you guys on Twitter or Facebook are out there staying in the same motel, in which case I look forward to meeting you as soon as possible. Now, if you're playing the new classic drinking game with the broken meeple, then you might want to take a bevy now of whatever tipple you have, because, yes, i got to mention the house again. Of course, this has been a saga that's been going on for months now, and obviously, if you're taking a drink right now, I hope it's something strong, because, well, you're going to need it. Basically, what's been happening is it's all gone mental. It is crazy trying to organise my next abode, because I pick up the key... As of this Friday, I am recording this on the 20th of September 2016 and I pick up my keys in three days time. I cannot wait. Of course, unfortunately, it's never quite as simple as that because just because I can pick up my keys on Friday does not mean I can actually move in on Friday. Instead, I have to get a lot of stuff sorted out, like the flooring, the tile floors, the carpet floors, the bedroom furniture, the IKEA shelving for the game room, the game table, my bed, a wine cooler. Okay, that's not exactly essential. I just want a cooler for wine. A dining table, my sofa, get all my games out of storage. There's a lot to get done, but I'm feeling confident that a maximum of two weeks after I get my keys I will be living in that house in my new home so the next time I record an episode for this podcast that isn't just a basic board game review so episode 48 will be recorded in the comfort of my new home. I guarantee you this. Now, in terms of the podcast increasing in uh, quality and stuff like that, I am going to work on this over the next few months. What I will try to do is get some kind of Patreon or Kickstarter set up for what I would call the reboot of the Broken Meeple, shall we say. And this will allow me to upgrade my technology for microphones, for cameras, because I want to get back into video on YouTube, and uh, so on and so forth. If that goes successfully, then I will be able to upgrade the Broken Meeple's podcast and video capabilities and we'll see where we go from there. Thankfully, the podcast and the reviews have not shut down during my time at my lodgings. I was able to get the top 100 out and it was an entertaining list to record. A lot of hard work but it was an entertaining list and I got a lot of good feedback from it so thank you to all who listened to it and I hope you enjoyed the list of games I was talking about. If you don't agree with the placements well then that's no surprise because that's the whole point of these top 100s. You get to see games from someone's different perspective. I hope there was a few surprises in there though but particularly with my top 10 But, as you can see, the reviews have still been coming out roughly around the two-a-week mark. Mainly because I've still had some review copies coming in. And my landlord and landlady have certainly been intrigued as to why the postman keeps calling on a regular basis. But I'm starting to run out of storage space here already with the review copies I've had. I've just had another batch through recently. Now I've got to get Codename Pictures to the table. I've got to get Dead Man Tell No Tales. I've got to get Yinch. I've got... What else have I got? Let me... Peer around my shoulder and have a look-see. I've got Legendary Civil War. The Smash-Up expansion. Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu. The networks. Ooh, you name it, I've got to get it reviewed. There's quite a lot of titles coming soon. And there's been some good ones in this mix, so I look forward to getting those out. As for this episode, I'm going to keep it relatively short this time, guys, mainly because my time is limited at the moment and I just wanted to get this episode out really before I go to Essen because then my next episode can be a big rave about what I got up to at Essen and that should be pretty entertaining in itself. So all I'm going to really do with this episode is go over a couple of first impression of games I've played recently for the usual gimmick and then I'm going to talk about some games that I'm expecting to enjoy from Essen this year and then I'll go over my plans as to what I'm actually doing at Essen so hopefully you'll be able to meet up with me because I have specific times when I'll be helping out the Dice Tower so you might be able to coincide with obviously meeting Tom Vassal. Z and Eric and Jason and Sam who I'm sure is your main reason for going to the booth but you might also catch me and a few other celebrity celebrities that's the wrong word a few other personalities across the review genre. So first up let's get on with a couple of first impressions just as a little bit of an icebreaker. First up, I'm going to talk about a game I played last night. In fact, finally somebody was able to bring a copy of Roombound 3rd Edition to the club so we could go through it all in one night. Now, I didn't play the base game. I played the Spider Scenario. This is an expansion that my friend had purchased. This was his copy of the game and four of us were playing it, three of us being new. So it was a long game. We did take about three and a half hours I think after rules explanation so it was quite a lengthy game but then there was four of us and three of us were new and we were we played throughout to the pretty much the last turn so we really got through this game we could have probably ended it about two or three turns earlier but we were a little bit paranoid about how well we were going to beat the last boss and it turned out we were actually able to beat it pretty easily so oh fair enough it could have been about three hours if we were playing properly and not getting distracted Runebound 3rd Edition obviously follows on from the 2nd Edition by Fantasy Flight, which is a fantasy-style game where you will choose an adventurer, you will get uh, some starting bits and bobs like skill cards and skill traits, and you will venture around this world, this fantasy world, with cities and towns and places to explore, and you'll go to these areas with it's a hex board, You'll go to these areas with tokens to flip over and do missions and quests, and they can be diplomatic, they can be, uh, invest, you know, explorator, exploratory. Is that a word? And combat-related. So you've got a mixture of what to do, and they're all pretty mixed in what you get, and they're all just as rewarding as each other. Combat is obviously more dangerous, but you could opt for ignoring combat for the early game entirely and going straight for diplomatic or exploratory missions and that will work just as well that's pretty much what i did and the way it works is that there is a governing arc a story arc throughout the whole game basically a big baddie is about to you know enter the world and cause havoc and you've got about half the game's length before she appears in this case it was a spider queen and certain things will happen during the rounds when rounds end you'll have a, a story card that comes up which affects the boardscape and when the boss appears she'll start doing things and then you have a time limit in terms of rounds to finish her off to kill her in one round of you know pure combat otherwise the game wins and everybody loses now i had played roombound second edition and i enjoyed it but i found it to be quite clunky even with free players it took longer than it really needed to for free players and there was a lot of fiddly rules some of the dice movement was a little bit weird but third edition has done a very good job of streamlining most of it the movement is dirt simple the board still looks gorgeous in terms of the artwork the combat is quite nifty with all the flicking of tokens that do different things and you can flip opponents tokens and you can recast your own and do all sorts of weird little shenanigans with them and of course you can Decide where you want to go, where you want to shop for items, what you want to do. It's your story arc. And it just seems to flow a lot more smoothly, this game. Now, it still takes ages. I mean, you're looking at a good two and a half hours plus, unless you really, really know what you're doing. But as a game in general, it is still really good fun. And even though it's somewhat lucky in places i mean in terms of what items you can get and what monsters you end up facing and how the tokens flip yes there is a good amount of luck but you still feel like you had more choices in what you did it's not quite as bad as say talisman where literally it's just roll and move and you see what happens you know you barely have any choices at all even with the expansion boards We were all able to take different paths in terms of how we developed our characters and what missions we did. It felt like a decent story arc from beginning to end and I really enjoyed it. Now granted it's not one that's going to hit the table that often, mainly because of its length, and now we only have three scenarios to play. You've got the Necromancer and Dragon from the base game and the Spider Queen from this one. So there's only going to be so much replayability in that sense as long as they keep pumping out more expansion packs, which thankfully at least this one will continue because it doesn't have a Games Workshop license. Ooh, you know, bigger uh, controversial point there. Now, the only problem I do have with this is the fact that the Spider Queen just seems really easy to beat. Now, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, really, because I remember the dragon in the base game being ridiculously hard to kill. It healed during combat, it did loads of damage, and it tanked a ton of health as well. It was a nightmare to beat. This Spider Queen died in the first from the first person to go and attack it relatively easily. Now I don't know whether that was done to make the game a little bit simpler maybe make the scenario a bit more of a introductory type game but it just felt a little bit anticlimactic to have a boss that was relatively easy to defeat. Now it wasn't a massive downer because in the end the whole game was entertaining from start to end but It was kind of weird that the boss was quite easy to beat maybe it was just because we tooled up really nicely and waited until the final turn to go and beat her up had we gone maybe a few turns earlier maybe it would have gone differently i don't know but it just seemed a little bit easy but otherwise it was still a very fun game if you like fantasy style games that are fairly epic not too overly strategic in a sense because you have got a bit of a luck factor but if you just want a good fantasy story to play out from start to finish with friends and you can role play your character to your heart's content then give Runebound for edition a try just make certain you got a bit of time on your hands. Next up is a game called I'm the Boss. This game I think dated back to 1998, 1996, or was it 1994? I think it's actually quite early in the 90s this was made. It's an old game, but this is a pure straight up negotiation game. You are trying to have the most money by the end of the game, which is pretty typical of most games that involve money but what you are trying to do is you are negotiating with other players in order to make deals you roll a dice and this counter moves around the board and each space is a different deal they require a certain amount of investors and certain actual people must be present And whoever is part of the deal that is successfully negotiated gets a share of the dividends, which is basically monetary shares. But there's only so many shares to divvy out and you can't rely on past or future deals. Each player also has a hand of cards, which either represent investors that they can use to get in on other deals. But they also represent screwage cards where you can steal other people's investors and send people away on flight trips across the world to effectively negate them from the deal and just generally make someone's life very miserable. This is a very cutthroat game. I mean, you cannot play this as a nice person. You are constantly backstabbing. You are constantly making shady deals. You want to cut people in and out of deals at the last minute, especially if you play the actual I'm the boss card and take control of deals. Trust me, you will screw other players in this, and it will get quite loud, and it will get quite frantic. But it will be insanely entertaining. This was a great fun Especially when we had six players going nuts over this game. Now granted I think I'd only want to play it with a maximum of four in the future. Because I think with five and six it's a bit too chaotic with the screwage cards. But oh my god this one was just a great simple negotiation game. And it was made in the 90s. This is basically, you know, you had Cosmic Encounter in the 70s, and then up comes this one in the 90s, and now these days you've got all sorts of different negotiation games. But I really like negotiation games. I just like that interaction between all the players, and this one just sang to me. Whether I'll end up with a copy myself, I don't know, because it is, like I say, a very hectic, screwage game, and I don't know if a lot of people I know would be into that, but... If somebody brings this one out to the table, I'm going to be very intrigued to go and play it some more, just maybe with a couple of less players. But I really enjoyed it getting into those negotiations, backstabbing and everything. I'm the boss. This next one, I wasn't entirely a fan of. Although I wouldn't necessarily I hate say I hate the game, I just don't think it was all that in a bag of chips. This was designed by Alan R. Moon, and it was actually the Spiel the Jahres winner in 1998. It's an old game called Elfenland. In Elfenland, the premise is very simple. You are elves travelling the kingdom, and you're trying to visit all 20 cities on the board if possible. They all go through different types of terrain, but in order to get from city to city, you have to play cards in your hand that match a type of transport that will get you from city to city, and this could be dragons, unicorns, trolls, pigs, well, boars, uh, water rafts, you name it, there's quite a few different options here. Players will take it in turns to draw these chits which dictate the different types of transport and then eventually you will play those out on the board in turn order to try and set up routes that you can basically chain from start to finish to visit as many cities as you can on your turn using what cards you have in your hand. Now, some of those routes are going to be ones that you place down. Some of them are going to be piggybacking off other people. So you've got to be able to change what you're thinking at a moment's notice. Again, we played this with six players. It goes from two to six, and six was a mistake. It really was a mistake. This has a 60 minute playing time. I guarantee you this game will take you twice as long if you play with six players. It took us forever to get through this game. And it just doesn't engage you enough to warrant that kind of time length. Now granted, you know, five of us were new. Well actually, no, four of us were new. Two of them already knew how to play the game. And we were kind of like in a jolly mood. We were having drinks and stuff. But even so, it did seem to drag on a bit. The other problem I have is that there's an element of screwage in this game which you can't prepare for. Because the idea is is that you can only put down one chit in a turn. So what you'll try to do is get your priority route sorted first. But there's a turn order to it and the first player marker starts with someone and there's only four rounds so if you have more than four players that means two of you don't get to go first and it's so powerful to go first because if someone goes before you have a chance to even act and blocks one of your paths with a type of transport that you have no cards for forcing you to have to spend three cards of your hand to basically as a kind of wild to go on anything Then, when you've only got a hand size of 8, that really screws you over, and you've got no way to fight against it. It didn't seem like there was a great deal of control. You could put down what chits you like, but the rest of your game was pretty much dictated by what the opponents did. If somebody got lucky because an opponent put a chit down that they had cards for next to them, then they were going to do better than somebody who had the opposite reaction. I wasn't doing that well for the game, but at the last turn I thought, oh, I can do this, this, and this, and I might actually be able to pull it back to a decent third, second place. And then, for absolutely no reason, someone puts down a transport on a route that I needed. It was like basically the last one of my route. He had no reason to go there. There was no reason to even block me because I wasn't even a threat. He just did it. And it completely stuffed up my go. And I had no way to deal with it because I had to deal with other priority routes first. It just seemed very anticlimactic, and too much screwage can happen without you having any control over it. And in the end, all you're doing is basically just playing cards down and connecting brutes. Woo. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah? You know, Ticket to Ride, wink, wink, wink. And Ticket to Ride's a better game. I prefer Ticket to Ride, because you've got a little bit of extra control in it, and at the end of the day, that one doesn't take anywhere near as long to play as this one did, even with a full count of players. So, I wasn't a big fan of Elfenland, but I don't think it's bad. I just think it probably wasn't for me, maybe we played with too many players, maybe the screwage could be turned down a bit, I don't know. But, for a Spiel diaris winner, I kind of expected more, so maybe my expectations were quite high, but for me, this one is a pass, but give it a try, you might like it. So, Elfenland, meh. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's start talking Essen. Now, for starters, I will be staying at the Motel 1 Essen. I believe this is a short distance away from the convention, and I feel that there's quite a lot of you folks on Twitter that will also be staying there. I've got my own room, there's nobody else coming with me, this is purely me on a solo trip, but I'll look forward to meeting some of you there at the hotel for some evening games if you're around, because last year, unfortunately, it kind of went a little bit south for the whole Let's Play Games in the Evening, thing because we were in a small group and people wanted to do different things so this time i'm hoping that once the convention is over i can look forward to going back to the motel and joining in lots of games or failing that meeting some of you folks and grabbing a meal out you know german does germany does some good food so it'll be nice to get out and grab a bite every now and again on top of that, I will also be helping out the Dice Tower with their live show and also their booth. Now, I don't know what I'm doing with the live show thing. It may literally just be I appear for five minutes and have a chat about how Essen is going. It depends on what Tom Vassell wants to do. But certainly I have been booked in along with a few other personalities to help out at the Dice Tower booth over the course of the four days. And I just want to give you the schedule for when I'm expected to be there. Now, essentially, Tom, Sam, Eric, Z and Jason are going to be there at various different times in automatic the booth themselves but obviously they need to go around and see Essen so a group of us from the Dice Tower Network are essentially going to help out as well. So I just want to let you know what time I'll be there because then you can either use that time in order to come say hi to me and I'll love to see you or alternatively and probably more likely you'll use that time to completely ignore the booth and make certain that you don't ever see this face. Either way I think I could probably get why you would do either of those two things. Now, start with Thursday, October the 13th. I will be there between the hours of 3 and 4. I will be there with Jason and Barry Dubay who you will recognize from YouTube fame. On Friday, October the 14th, between the hours of 1 and 2, I will be there with Derek and Zach. Now, this schedule is not very descriptive, so I don't actually really know who Derek and Zach are. I've got a feeling Derek might be one of the guys who's, I think, it might be his new video editor. I might be getting that wrong. I really don't know who Zach is, so sorry about that, but oh well, look forward to meeting you guys there between one and two. Saturday though, I'll be there for a little bit longer. I'm gonna be there between the hours of eleven and one, so it will be a two hour streak. First hour I will be there with Sam Healy, and between twelve and one I will be there with Derek again, and also Z Garcia. I can't remember the last time if ever I've managed to really get to speak to Z Garcia in person other than simply a fleeting glam, so I'm kinda of looking forward to that one. I met Tom and Sam at the UK Games Expo, and it will be cool to, you know, touch base with them again. And then finally, on Sunday, October the 16th, I will be there between the hours of... 1 and 2, and I'll be there again with Sam Healy and also Barry as well. So, you know, Barry and I get on quite fine, so it's always a good laugh to see how he's doing, and basically I'm helping out on those four days in those hours. So, if you want to meet me head-to-head, face-to-face, then use that time and come and say hi. I'll look forward to hearing from you and seeing you for the first time, maybe. Perhaps I've been speaking to you on Twitter all this time, and finally I get to see your face. I apologise if I'm not great with names. I really am pretty sucky with names i have to admit i mostly remember people by their personality by their you know avatar or something like that you know forgive me i'm useless on that front so come by the booth dice tower booth if you want to see me and other great personalities from the dice tower network they are at booth 6b125 so basically i believe that means that's booth 125 in hall six so come along and i'll see you then but for now let's get on and talk about some more games Okay, well, there's a lot of games to talk about, and I've had to be quite strict about how I do my top 10 for this episode as well. Now, first off, I want to just give a shout-out to Tabletop Together. You can find them on Twitter and Facebook. Many thanks to them for putting together this very nice little online list that allows you to basically look up everything that is going to be released to Essen, including the stuff that's technically already out now, and you can choose skip, ignore, like, want or need, give your notes, whether it's pre-ordered, etc., and then save the list online and print it out either on an Excel file or just to share it online with Twitter. Now, this has been invaluable in me trying to find out what on earth is going on at Essen because, to be fair, trying to find out what's released to Essen is a bit of a problem sometimes. It's somewhat of a minefield. You've got some lists on BoardGameGeek that help, but overall it's difficult to sift through that entire list and see what's what. This list was very nice and concise. It gave you the major information that you needed to know about the designer and the publisher. It gave you the front picture of the box so that you could at least see what the game looked like. And then it had links to BoardGameGeek and the Essence Spiel preview link on BoardGameGeek and other information as well. It even told you the price in Euros, which is a very useful thing to know if you're on a budget. So hats off to you guys at Tabletop together. Thank you for helping me prepare this list. Now, I'll do the top 10 later because one strict rule that I've had to make with the top 10 is no expansions. Whenever I've been to any convention, there is usually a job load of expansions. And if I was to make the top 10 list and include expansions, you'd probably find that most of the top 10 would actually just be expansions. And it's a little bit misleading to really talk about those. I did last year. This time I wanted to just pick 10 new games, brand new games, and by brand new I mean either completely brand new or substantially redone. So, for example, Robbers and Crusoe, the new reprint, I'm really looking forward to grabbing that or at least seeing what it's like, maybe the upgrade pack, but to be fair, most of what's changed in that Robinson Crusoe thing is maybe a couple of little minor things, the artwork which doesn't really change how the game plays, an extra scenario, yeah added variety but mainly I just want that new rulebook because trying to learn this game after you've not played it for a while is an absolute nightmare. So yes that's going to be an improvement on the game but I don't think it's enough to qualify it for a top 10 list because it's more of an upgrade than it is a completely new game. However there is one game on that list you might cry foul on under the same pretense, so we'll see what you say on that. So first of all, I'm going to just talk about various games and expansions that didn't make the top 10. I just want to talk about the fact that I'm quite excited for them. First up, Bang! The Dice Game gets an expansion for Old Saloon. I might actually be getting a copy of this before I go to Essen, which is another reason why I wasn't going to include it on the top 10. But man, I am looking forward to this expansion. like You wouldn't believe Sam Healy's review convinced me that this will improve the game to no end. And I already love this game. It's in my top 100. And it's a big surefire hit whenever I bring it out. So, to have expansion modules, including that Ghost Renegade that sounds really cool, cannot wait to grab myself a copy of this. On top of that, Celestia is getting an expansion as well. This was released at Essen last year by the company Blam whatever kind of name that is, I'm not sure. But Celestia is my favourite Push Your Luck game, again in my top 100 and has gone over really well. It's getting a small expansion called A Little Help, which is apparently meant to give the captain a few more bluffing powers. It's only priced at 8 euros, I'm not expecting this to be a huge change to the game, but any improvement to Celestia is welcome in my book. Similarly, more expansions, so you're going to see a lot of those off the top 10, obviously. Hyperborea is getting an expansion called Light and Shadow, which enables players to take control of relics, both from the light side and the dark side, and perform special powers and abilities throughout the game. Again, I don't expect this to be a huge expansion, but then the price showing on the list is €25, and that's not cheap for an expansion, so maybe there's a little bit more in this. Maybe they're including more starting player powers, maybe they're including more or text that you can upgrade, I don't know. But it seems like this could be quite a substantial expansion to a game which, sadly, has been sitting on my shelf for a little bit too long and really needs to get back onto the table. I've already mentioned Robinson Crusoe, The Cursed Island. Now, yes, I am looking forward to this reprint. Whether I will just get the upgrade pack or whether I'll get a full copy of the new version, I don't know, because it's not like there's much wrong with the previous version. You know, I've already apologized profusely for the fact that I put it on an overrated games list. You know, I now think this is a solid co-op. But I certainly do look forward to getting a new set of artwork, some new streamlined rules, and a better rulebook. Please, I just want that rulebook. You could give me nothing else in this game apart from that rulebook, and I would be happy. But of course, I would like to have the complete package continuing the whole expansion front seven wonders duel is getting its pantheon expansion where you get to use gods in order to upgrade your victory points and perform special abilities seven wonders duel was already a brilliant game from antoine bowser and bruno kafala so any expansion to that is of course welcome i love expansions to good games and therefore well it's going to be a surefire buy for me and again more expansions. wonder oh, How many more are there? One, two, oh, there's quite a few, so yeah, we got a few more to go. Dice City has got another expansion coming out. Yes, you've already had, I think, two already, those two little small box expansions. Well, this is the third one by Royal Decree, although this one has an extra board and costs about €25, Euros, so this one might actually add a little bit more to the game than those previous expansions did. I'm kind of hoping so, because as much as those two expansions have been good and have been auto-includes in all my game, of Dice City since, it would be nice to have maybe something a little bit extra to bring to the field, because I'm starting to get a little bit tired of this whole microtransaction style of expansions that a lot of people are doing these days. But it's Dice City, I like Dice City, it's, yeah, who needs Maichi Koro, I have Dice City, and so any expansion is naturally one I'm going to take a look at. Oh look, another expansion, and yes, Imperial Settlers is getting an expansion as well, this is the... Aztecs expansion, and the Atlanteans one went over well with me, so I expect this one to do so as well, particularly as the Aztecs would probably be one of my favourite factions to appear in this game, purely from a thematic standpoint. Now going over a couple of slightly more obscure titles, Love Letter Premium is on the radar, mainly because I fancy the fact that it's got upgraded jumbo-sized cards and better cardstock, but mainly because it can now go up to 8 Players. There are extra cards in this set that allow you to take it from four, five, six, seven, or eight players, and that's always one factor that's got in the way of getting Love Letter out. Sometimes, when I've got small, when I've got larger groups, sorry, the fact that Love Letter only goes up to four players. Being able to do it up to eight, hopefully they've balanced the the new cards well. But if not, this will certainly be good. The only thing that's slightly putting me off is the fact that this will obviously be priced at the same level as a small board game when effectively it's a five minute filler so we'll have to see how i feel when i see it in person this one's a little bit of a cheat this one is the shogun big box i have not played shogun But it looks cool, and the idea of that Cube Tower interests me because I love it in Amerigo. But this one isn't technically a new game, it's just basically the same game, but with some extra expansions thrown into a big box. It's Queen Games' shtick at the moment. I will be getting a copy of this outside of Essen anyway, although that depends on when Queen Games actually hurry up and post the wretched thing to me that they were supposed to do in the last couple of months. Seriously, this will be the last time I kickstart anything by Queen Games. You have got to shape up Queen Games, okay? Your Kickstarter fulfillment duties are paramount to getting people interested in your product. And if you keep delaying shipping like you constantly do, like you have been doing with Shogun, you're going to start losing interest from consumers. Get yourself in order. Whew, okay, mini rant there over. Moving on, we've got... I suppose this is... a standalone expansion you could call it and that's Spyfall 2. Spyfall is already a great fun party game. This one effectively just gives you more locations and ups the player count to 12 whilst allowing for two spies in play. Now I like the idea of having two spies in play but I'm a little bit hesitant about bringing this up to 12 players. Playing this with eight players is already quite a bit of a slog when you've got that many people to answer questions with. 12 that just seems like it's going a little bit over the top but we'll see how it goes if it's cheap enough I'll probably grab it anyway maybe if they at least put a reference card in the box that you can actually get people not to stare at a plastic sheet all the time that would be nice but we'll see this is a fairly low one on my anticipation list because let's face it even if I didn't get it I've got the original Spyfall what more do I need. A rather big game that just missed the top 10. It would have probably been my 11, 12, or 13, and that was A Feast for Odin by Uri Rosenberg. Now, I love Uri Rosenberg games, so you'd probably think, well, how come this didn't meet your top 10? Well, it looks like fun. However, I'm a little bit concerned about how well I would be able to teach this game. The game has 60 action spaces that you can put workers on. 60! I have a feeling that I would just not be able to teach this game to new people. Considering that new people join my games on a regular basis, teaching this would be a complete mission for me. And then on top of that, I'm not necessarily sure about the whole thematic thing with the patchwork style mechanic in it where you're covering up spaces on your board. That just feels a little bit weird. I would certainly like to try it at Essen, and if anybody gets the game and is willing to uh, you know, show me it and knows how to play it, then I'll be willing to join in. But it's going to be a long one for that first game, and it's just I'm just worried about the sheer amount of analysis paralysis that this could generate. So it's missed the top ten for that reason, but still, it's Uri Rosenberg. I should have faith, I do like his game, so we'll see more on that later. Another one which some people probably haven't heard much about is called Argo, and that's by Bruno duty and Serge Leger. It looks to me like an alternate version of Escape from the Aliens and Outer Space. You've broken out your paws and you're trying to get off the space station before the aliens eat too many humans, and of course everybody else is merely just a pawn getting in your way, but you can't let the aliens eat too many humans, otherwise you lose. So it's that kind of meta-cooperative type thing. I'm hard to say what this is going to be like. I haven't really heard much about it. The theme alone has got me interested in it, though. Bruno Fiduti does make some rather amusing games. Whether this will be a replacement or even anywhere in the same ballpark as Escape from the Aliens and Outer Space, we'll have to see. But certainly, I'll be willing to check this one out at Flatlined Games' booth. A nice little quickie, Dixit has got another expansion, Revelations, basically more cards for Dixit. Well, I love Dixit, so chances are I'll get this as well, although my box is rather screaming for space at the moment, so I don't know if I'll even be able to fit it in, so I might have to rethink that one and see how it goes. Tettle, Spark, and Bezier Games are bringing out Colony, which looks like a very interesting building game where you're using DICE's resources with each side number representing a different resource. Some are stable, some can be stored, others must be used, and you've got all these different buildings. It looks quite cool, and Bezier Games have done some very interesting ones in their lineup, like Suburbia and the Castles of Mad King Lugwig. So I'm very keen to see what this is like. I think this would have probably been my number 11 I think. I think this is quite high on the list. It just narrowly missed the mark. Because I don't really know enough about it. And I do wonder whether it will meet the mark. And to be fair there's a lot of games I was interested in. at and most of which yes are expansions. But I've only got room for 10. But we're not going to get to that just yet. Because there's still more to talk about. So moving on. There's also Martians, A Story of Civilization. This is a big, lengthy Euro game about starting a colony on Mars. Seriously, what is it with Mars this year? Everybody is making games about Mars. Was it just simply the movie that spawned all this? I don't know. But this one looks to be quite an involved, heavy Euro game about settling up a colony. And yes, I don't tend to go for the big, heavy games, you might think. But I do like heavily thematic Euro games so if this is a heavy Euro game but retains that strong colonization theme it could be a hit with me so we'll have to see I'm just a little bit put off maybe by the fact that I know very little if nothing about these two designers or the publisher this is a bit of an unknown for me so it's kind of a gamble going in which is why it's not going to make the top 10 but we'll see what it's like if I get a chance to play it chances are I'll probably only be demoing it because it is a long game AEG will be bringing out the expansion to Mystic Veil called Veil of Magic. I reviewed Mystic Veil recently, so you can go check that out, and I said it was a good game but it badly needs an upgrade of variety. Well, Veil of Magic might just add enough cards for that to happen, or maybe it still needs an expansion after it, but then again, every little helps. So yes, the base game is good, but it's not mind-blowing yet. I need more cards. So maybe this will help, that's why I'm interested to find out more about this expansion. The really amazing two-player game by Andreas Steiger called Targi is getting an expansion. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to have an English name. It's simply called Targi Die Erweitung. I really don't know my German since GCSE, so I've probably completely shafted that one. But essentially, it's a two-player expansion with more stuff added to the game. Targi is already in my top 100 as one of the best two-player games out there, and so an expansion certainly is worth looking at, although it doesn't hit the table as much as I would like, so maybe I don't desperately need the expansion. We'll have to see more on that. Stronghold Games is bringing out a two-player game called Solar Fide the Reformation. Now, in terms of the history behind this, I know next to nothing about this whole Reformation thing, about all the religious history and that. Granted, I know so little about this. But why am I interested in this one? Well, because the designers are Christian Leonard and Jason Matthews, and anybody who has kept an eye on my reviews will know that I shouted the praise of Founding Fathers from the rooftops. It made my top 20 games of all time on a theme that I know next to nothing about, but it was just such a well-designed game, and the theme was pretty strong within it. Well, if they can pull off the same trick here, even though this is just a two-player game, then, well, it could be on to a solid win in my book. Mainly, just the fact that it's on a theme that I know nothing about is why it didn't hit the top ten, but by designer and publisher alone, it's caught my interest. And finally, before we get to my top ten, we have Czar and Zerts. Not exactly the most ingenious names for games, but basically, Hutch and Friends are re printing all the gif series of abstract games now at the moment the only one i actually own of that is yinch and so far so good it's a really cool little game i love abstracts so two more abstracts from the series i would like to find out more about these i hear from like z garcia that the two best ones in his opinion are Zertz Sorry, are Yinch and Zar, but he also likes Zerts as well. So I'm interested to check these out. Hopefully, Boof D120 in Hall 3 will have plenty of these laid out. And because they're just two-player abstract games, it should be relatively easy for me to get these to the table. I'm a little bit concerned, though, that the time limit on these says 30 to 60 minutes, though. I'm pretty certain that you could play this in quicker time. I hope that's just a misprint. Well, we'll have to see more on that later. Right, that's enough games just randomly plucked off this tabletop together list. It's time to get on to what I believe is my top 10 most anticipated games from Essen. Now, to be honest, it's a top 10, but I'm looking forward to all these games. It's hard to really rank these, but of course, I like a top 10, and you all want a top 10 as well. So, it's going to have to be that way. So, without further ado... More games for you from Essen, the top 10 most anticipated Essen games for me personally. (laughs) Haha, as I'm recording this, I've just had a little google update from the essence schedule that i commented on for when i'm at the dice tower booth i said that i would be there with barry and i you know he'd be there for most of the day as long as i didn't scare him off well apparently i don't scare him unless i start singing pompy songs to be quite frank i don't know any pompy songs so i think you're pretty safe there, met does anybody else want to teach me how any pompy songs before i go i've really not heard of any so it'd be interesting to see if i can really scare him off with that Oh well, as I digress. That's becoming a catchphrase, I've noticed. People are starting to quote me on that. Anyway, so without further ado, the top 10, the rules, as I stated before, there are no expansions on this list, and these are all brand new games, with the exception of one, which technically the game has already been out before, but the work that is being done to revamp this is so substantial and so changing that I think it's pretty much like, you know, if you got this you would not need the original it would just be you know you could almost have maybe both games but this one will be a massive change from the original i don't know cry foul if you like but i felt it deserved a mention on this list so starting off with number 10 Number 10 is a game that I kick-started a short while ago and also interviewed the designer for, Henry Jasper, and this is Perfect Crime. I picked this out at the UK Games Expo and tried out the prototype. I gave my opinions on some of the rules that needed changing and offered my suggestions. Now granted, that was just a prototype, it was a really early Alpha stage of a game, and there was a lot more that's been done to it since then. The illustrations look pretty cool, but mainly I'm looking forward to this one because of theme alone this is an asymmetrical tower defense bank robbery game with hidden information tension and asymmetrical gameplay whether you're playing the bank you've got to defend your bank with all this different type of security and if you're the robber you have to assemble your crew of specialists and equip them with all the tools and weapons they need you can play this as fully co-op you can play this as semi-co-op or you can just be competitive it's got a lot of potential and I hope, I hope, I hope that it manages to meet my expectations. This is a big, big gamble because to pull this off is going to take a lot of work because this sounds like a very difficult thing, theme, theme to pull off. And well, best luck to you, Henry Jasper. I look forward to seeing this at Essen. Number 9 is also a game I kickstarted but also got to test out an earlier version of it at the UK Games Expo and that is Crisis by Ludi Creations. This one is an economic game. Now for most of you you're probably thinking that that should be an auto-fail in my book because I don't tend to go for a lot of economic games. This one is a little bit different though and it's those differences that have caught my attention. First up... It is a very streamlined Euro game. You've got many different things that you can do, whether you want to export resources or build up industries or make use of employees, that kind of thing. So you've got lots of different options. But what I really like is the universe that this is set in, Axia. Essentially you are trying to get the most money by the end of the game but you're also trying to stop the you know the location from falling into complete bankruptcy and so the actions that you and the other players do will influence what special events trigger each round and also how the board reacts to the fact that it's slowly falling into bankruptcy or doing fairly well you can have it on different difficulty settings so that it's easier for the place to go into bankruptcy So you've got to work together, sort of, but you can't obviously lag behind too much. This, like Perfect Crime, has also got a lot of potential to be an economic game that I really enjoy. I enjoyed my first playtest of it in its earlier version. I look forward to see if it's had any improvements since it finished its Kickstarter. And even if it hasn't, I still think it will be a solid game all round. And that is Crisis, my number nine. Number eight is a really quick little bluffing game. And most of you probably haven't even heard of this. This is called HMS Dolores by Bruno Faduti and Eric Lang. I suppose you've probably heard of it just because it's made by two famous designers. But this is a very quick 15-minute bluffing game. It's essentially the prisoner's dilemma put into a card game. You... On each turn, you have four new treasures laid out, two in front of you and two in front of your neighbour. You simultaneously decide how to split them, and your choices are peace, which means you want the two in front of you, War, you want them all, or first pick, you want one, but you get to pick first. And the idea is, based on the Prisoner's Dilemma, is that if both players choose peace or war, or both choose first pick, something will happen. So you're bluffing each other into thinking, look, you know, I'm going to pick this, you pick that, and we all benefit from this. And of course, you're all lying to each other's faces, and wanting to get as much treasure as you can to win the game. This looks right up my alley as a nice, quick, bluffing game with a lot of laughs and a lot of trash talking. So it's risen to my top 10. HMS Dolores. Number 7 is an odd one for me and it's going to be one that I'm getting a review copy of from Eagle Griffin Games and that is called the Daedalus sentence. I don't know if that's how you pronounce the Daedalus? Daedalus? I don't know somebody will probably correct me but that's how I'm pronouncing it here. This is is either a one-versus-all game, or, more likely, a co-op game. The cool thing with this, though, is the rotating board. It has four rotating rings, and you start off in the centre, and you're trying to get your way to the outer ring. All the, the entire board is hidden, so as you move to different locations, you've got to flip over the tiles to find out what they do. You can puzzle out with this little, like future telling device thing of how the rings are going to rotate to an extent. You have to find out information to try and predict. Right, let's see, they're going to rotate this way, so I need to be there, but it's going to shaft my player over there. It kind of reminds me of things like the cube, and I suppose... No, not The Running Man. No, I suppose The Cube is actually a good example, where you're trying to get out of this, effectively, a death trap, but it twists and turns and there's traps in all sorts of places. It sounds like it could be a really cool co-op game, and it's very unique by the sound of it. And, of course, the ability to take on the role of the labyrinth and go up against other players might also appeal to more of the competitive side as well. So, by uniqueness alone, I'm certainly keen to try this one out when I get my review copy, The Daedalus Sentence. My number six is the game that Tom Vassell has been lording over ever since he got to play it and review it, and that is Cry Havoc. It's a card-driven, asymmetric, area control war game set in a science fiction world. You control one of four asymmetric, unique factions, and they all have different abilities and different units and different cards. You basically opt for control over this board, and have to fight each other for majority and the way that it works is that the cards have all got multiple uses they're all unique to each faction the artwork is stunning the miniatures are really good this looks to be a very surefire hit for portal games and i can't wait to sink my teeth into it and find out whether tom is talking sense or talking complete rubbish in this instance so cry havoc my number six Continuing on, we have now my number five, which is The Last Friday by Ares Games. Now this one is going to be a bit of a gamble as well, but by theme alone I really want to check this one out. It is essentially a hidden movement hunting and deduction board game inspired by the typical slasher terror horror movies like Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, that kind of thing. I think it pays homage mainly to Friday the 13th, hence the name The Last Friday, but I suppose it's got homages to all the others. Essentially one person takes the role of the slasher himself and the rest take control of the typical cliche teenagers or whatever you get in those american style films in the camping sorry, in the camp and you play the game over four chapters the arrival the chase the massacre and the final and each one plays out differently and you've got the hidden movement aspect the tension of oh is the guy you know is the slasher going to get me but then eventually you can turn on him as well it sounds really cool and if it If it can just hold that Halloween-style theme, I think I'm going to really, really love this one. This could be something that rises above the likes of Letters from Whitechapel and possibly even Fury of Dracula if it plays its theme right. So Last Friday is a big hope for me, number five. Number four looks to be a really interesting cooperative game set in Victorian England from Grey Fox games called London Dread. I didn't know very much about this until I saw the Dice Tower review of it, but it's got my intrigue, let's put it that way. It's basically a cooperative game where you play over a very, very in-depth story played over the course of two chapters usually except for I think the introduction game and players take part in a timed planning phase where obstacles and plots are uncovered and then an untimed story phase where players resolve the effects of their planning. It's got that kind of timed and untimed bit that the XCOM board game has but the idea is, is that what you do in that planning phase is quintessential to how the rest of the game will play. It sounds like it's got some interesting scenarios to play, the artwork looks gorgeous, the components look great, it's a cooperative murder mystery style game, I think this one could be a surefire hit for me. It's certainly ticking a lot of boxes that I look for in a game. Cooperative, strong theme, and good player interaction. So we'll see what happens with London Dread when I see it soon. Number four. My number three is another one I backed on Kickstarter recently, actually, called Fields of Green by Artipia Games. This one could essentially be called Among the Stars, the Farming Edition. It's done by the same designer, it's done by the same publisher. It's even got the same style of drafting. But I can already tell that the spatial awareness in this game has been jumped up to a different notch. And you've obviously got the harvest seasons as per a typical farm where you've got to water your fields, feed your livestock, pay maintenance costs. There's a big variety of cards. The artwork is really nice and colourful. I think this will appeal to a lot more players than the whole building a space station thing. But I'm also hoping that the game has been a bit more streamlined because as much as I love Among the Stars, it can get quite complex with some of those abilities all over the shop and it is quite a busy game. So this one, I'm looking forward to getting that same style of feeling, but maybe with a more accessible game. You know, I don't know if it will be, I don't think it will be quite gateway game level, but it will certainly be one that I reckon I can get more people to play. And at the end of the day, it's farming. I like farming games. So it's a theme that's going to appeal to me. It's got drafting. It's done by a designer I really like. It's done by a publisher I really like. That's pretty much a surefire hit in hit my top 10. Fields of Green number three. Number two is the cheat one for me, and this is the one that I said you might call foul on, because technically this game has already been released before, but the amount that this game has changed in the deluxe version of it means that I reckon that this is worthy of a place in this top ten, because it's just changed so much. The game is by Vital Lacerda, who has done some of my favourite heavy Euros of all time, and that is Vinhos Deluxe Edition. Now, yes, I know the original game has already been out, however, this has got completely new art, new components, new improved rules, a new simplified version of the game, a new double-sided board, uh, more stuff, more streamlining, more mechanisms, more action tiles, more multipliers, more everything. This has been expanded to such an extent that I don't think you'll be able to recognise it from the previous Vinos. So, yes, I will agree, if you want to call foul and take it off the list, then just slide everything up and put Colony as my number 10. But, if you will allow it, number 2 is Vinos Deluxe Edition. Vital Lacerda has been a surefire hit with me in every single Euro game I've played of his to date, and winemaking is a theme that I will jump on like nothing other. Viticulture was so high in my top 100 I'm not going to spoil the exact number but it was really high I love viticulture I love winemaking as a theme and this one is now going to give me winemaking in a heavy euro style game with fantastic components and artwork done by Eagle Griffin Games who if it's anything like the component quality from the gallerist which I think is a very similar style then It's just gonna blow me away, I hope. Please don't disappoint me, I'm really hoping on this one. So, Venus Deluxe Edition, cannot wait. Right, no honourable mentions, just getting straight on to the number one, and that is Terraforming Mars by Stronghold Games. This one sounds like a Euro that was designed with me in mind. Yes, it's milking the whole Mars theme, but the variety in those cards that you draw and play as to how you're intending to raise the temperature of mars increase the oxygen build oceans you've got so many different ways that you can do it and it's all down to those cards that have different abilities that you can get different uh, paths to victory and obviously different victory points and mega credits as the currency so there's all sorts of really cool things that you can go for whether you're steel titanium plants energy heat there's all sorts of different resources also all sorts of different milestones it sounds like a really cool game and stronghold have really done well in introducing some heavyish style Euro games to me. After all, Kanban Automotive Revolution is still one of my all-time favorites and it could well repeat with this. This does not look like a light game. This looks like a medium to heavyweight game and I hope it's at Essen and I hope I get a chance to try it out. I must admit it's very difficult to get into a demo at a Stronghold booth it seems so hopefully I'll have better luck this time. So that was a lot of games talked about, loads of games that I'm interested to see but aren't on my top 10 and then of course my top. Ten, which were ones that I'm really looking forward to. Sorry if the voice is a little bit on and off in places. Again, I've been doing this at my lodgings accommodation, and so things have been somewhat, you know, all got to be a little bit quieter, can't go shouting out. It's one of those things, really. Next time I broadcast a full episode of this podcast, it will be from my new accommodation, and I won't have that limitation anymore. Yes, things are moving along nicely. But for now, I'm going to get on with all the stuff I got to do with the house and prepare for Essen. Essen is now as I finish this recording only 10 days away when I start to fly over there on the Wednesday evening. I look forward to seeing some of you at the Motel 1 Essen. I look forward to seeing you at the Dice Tower booth. I look forward to seeing you in Essen in general. So, take care. Hope to see you there. Safe journey to all of you. Catch you later. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast or Board Gamers Anonymous. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com.